As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Daryl Kronk with us, the CIO of Wealth and Investment Management at Wells Fargo. Daryl, good to see you. You too, John. Do you have the courage to be bearish? Uh, we have had the courage to be bearish for all of 2022. I, you know, look, I think you'll hear to the earlier conversation two mixed messages on jobs today. You're going to hear Powell at the at the Economic Club <clears throat> say he's concerned about the economy overheating and too many jobs, and then. President Biden's going to get up at the State of the Union and tout how he's done such a great job creating jobs, right? So you're going to have this kind of dichotomy that's going to happen. Um, I think, you know, you've had a subtle change since the Fed meeting. Obviously, the point about um, 35 basis point move in the in the two-year, um, the dollar's reverse course, gold has started to come down. Um, you do have a you have a different message right now on on the equity market between technicals and fundamentals. Your path was wrestling economics and finance at Ames, Iowa, <laughs> and then off you went to Zvibodi and BU. That's right. And the bottom line is you need the courage to buy quality right now. All the media razzle dazzles in nonprofit tech, what meme stocks is that what they're called? Sure. And yeah. the rest as well. And what Wells Fargo is saying, get brave and buy quality. Define quality. Well, quality is everything that wasn't this rally at the beginning of the year. So if, there's only two themes that have driven this entire rally at the beginning of the year, including across all assets. It's long-duration assets, and that's not just equities. You know, think tech, comm services, discretionary. Gold's a long-duration asset. It's rallied hard this year, right? For up until the Fed meeting, the, bond, uh, the long end of the bond curve was still – rates were still falling and were rallying. So you're getting this huge long-duration rally, and then it's low quality, right? It's – it's all the things you don't want to own, basically, that were just either some form of a January effect, some form of short uh, covering, or some form of just um, reversion to the mean after tax lot selling. That's not really the basis for a good sustainable rally from here, right? Now you've you coiled the 50-day, 20-day, and 200-day moving averages into a tight band that had to break out one way or the other. They broke to the upside here in the short term, but all near-term indications suggest you're probably overbought at this level. So we would fade this latest rally. We still think it's probably a bear market rally a la, you know, four or five of them in 2022 and probably fails into resistance and, and eventually comes back down before you move higher. How do you fade it? Do you fade it with options? Do you bet against the NASDAQ? Do you bet against specific companies? Do you just sell on the margins what's gone up? I think you sell on the margins. It's giving you a second chance, you know, to unwind that lower quality if you want to, or you just reduce your equity positions. You take your risk budgets down in portfolios like you need to if you don't have them where you want to be, and then you hold that dry powder to your point of you're getting paid handsomely on the short side of the yield curve to hold dry powder. And you're actually, for the first time in a long time, getting positive real rates, right? If you look at 
the three-month uh, run rate on the PCE deflator or the CPI, they're at 2.9%, 3.1%. If I'm getting 482 on a 12-month treasury, real rates are finally now in a positive place. They hadn't been for much of all of last year and the year before. So that gives you some nice carry while you wait out as this thing kind of the fundamentals catch up. How distorted is your portfolio right now, weighted to fixed income, weighted to short-term debt versus equities versus other assets? So it is definitely underweight equities. There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, we had on the fixed income side, we were overweight fixed income, but we barbelled the whole fixed income element. So short-term makes all kinds of sense. The belly of the yield curve, you don't want to be there, right? Because now you have, instead of roll down, you have roll up in the yield curve, which is, is not the place to be. And, you know, the 10-year peaked out in on October 24th. We went long duration on October 29th, so we were five days late. But that's been just a heck of a trade, right? I mean, it has really um, added, you know, mid-double-digit returns to portfolios. At, at this level, I'd be a little careful legging too far into the backside of the yield curve. We think the the 10-year trades between 340 and 390 for most of this year and back and forth. So I'd be a little careful here at, at, at the level we're at today. This tees up the next question, really. If economic data keeps surprising to the upside, like the data we got on Friday, would that change anything for you? How would it change things for you? Well, it, the obvious is it has to price in more hikes, right? It brings May into the conversation, right? Which today, um, it's it's all about March is now basically a given. And then another 25 basis points in May. And it takes out any hope of cuts in the back half of the year. So good right? news, bad news. Yeah, I think that's the case right now. I mean, you, you just have to, you, you have to let this thing play out. I mean, earnings growth is just now turning negative, right? In the last 20, 30 years, we've only seen that happen four times. Every time we've seen it happen, it ends up being a recession. You, yesterday, you saw the Fed's senior loan survey. Financial conditions are tightening quickly, right? So every time you, you think about a recession, you have three things that happen. You have um, interest rates have to go up. You have inflation spikes and you have lending and uh, conditions tighten. Right? Do you think the chairman's more focused on the loan survey than perhaps what's happening in public markets? Uh, no, I think I think still he's he's focused on financial conditions too easy, right? I mean, you can look at a whole bunch of financial conditions to this time last year. And so, what remember, was Wednesday about? What was that about? Well, Wednesday Wednesday was his attempt to be hawkish. But the but the market interpreted as dovish. Is that right? what that was? Just yeah. So he's that. going to try and walk that back, I think, today <clears throat> and in subsequent speeches to try and just continue to pound the pulpit about like we have more work to do, we're not there yet. Um, and so I think that's that's an important thing for markets to kind of reconcile. The reality is the equity markets and the bond market have not believed the Fed up to this point. They just but don't if believe you say them. things like the disinflationary <clears throat> process has started. I'm not going to hear the rest. Wasn't that the problem last week? <laughs> and that that was what they were looking at, and that was what they were yeah. hoping about. Is this just, you know, that he kind of failed at the communication? That's right. Can we give you an eval? Evaluation? Well, year-end eval. Absolutely. Year-end eval? Sarah yeah. House killed it. We've got yeah, different people we talked to she's who killed wonderful. it. And she described better than anyone I know this path of disinflation down, and she used the Amazon challenge of the last mile to get to your house, getting <laughs> from three to two. Yes. When you talk to Sarah House and you listen to Sarah House, what's your yield there that you're trying to get to? Three to two? Or are you even trying to get from four to three? 
Well, actually, I think that's the mistake the markets are making right now. And it's an excellent point, and I agree with you I completely okay. on Sarah. You did great on She wrote me. She said, would you put in a good word? No. So um, what, what the markets are missing is they keep using the inflation data on year over year. Who cares about last year, right? Last yeah, year at this time this, was irrelevant, yeah. right? Yeah. Right now, as we speak, the three-month, the rolling three-month run rate on PC deflator is 2.9, and on CPI at the core is 3.1. So at, let's just call it three. At three, you're a stone's throw away from two to two and a half with still downward pressure on prices, right? So we're going to get there faster than what people think. That's what we wrote in our 2023 economic or yeah. our outlook was, look, the great surprise of this year is how fast inflation is going to come down. And if you think back in November, December, people were like, no way, no how, right? Uh, and it is. It's there already. Well, that's why this market's got cuts. Yes. Darrell Cronk of Wells Fargo. Darrell, that was great. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is a joy for us right now and a real symbol here, uh, John, of everything to move beyond the pandemic. To have Gerard Cassidy with us remote from Maine as legend at uh, Tucker Anthony uh, for, for years and on to RBC Capital Markets. But to have him in studio, I think, is a real I just realized it's been three years. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Almost three years to the month. When we Unreal. last talked to you, a lobster roll in Maine costs $18. Now it's like a bottle of champagne. What happened? I, Tom, rising costs. Even the lobstermen are facing higher inflation costs. Obviously, fuel, also labor costs are very high, and that's 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 what's driving it. And look at the real estate pricing us right out. Let's get to it right now, uh, Gerard Cassidy. I'm going to look at securities analysis and the four percent return over the last ten years I got with a dog like Citigroup versus the fourteen percent return I got as Harrison passed off J.P. Morgan to James Diamond. That differential, how do you, with the legend that you are, how do you grind out not to pick the dogs in banking? It's very interesting, Tom, because it's all about execution, as you know. And obviously, J.P. Morgan Chase has executed and Citigroup has not. And now under the new leadership, Jane is trying to execute and divest many of the businesses outside the United mm-hmm. States. Mexico is the big one. And I think if they get that done this quarter, that will help the stock. They will buy Mexican Citigroup banking. I mean, there's such an emotional lodestone there for the heritage of the company. Back to Mr. Reed. No, you're, you're quite right. Either a local bank or a Span- one of the Spanish banks are most likely to be the buyers. Not an American bank, though. Joe, as we reflect on the last decade or so, just how much more defensive are these names? 
How much have these banks actually changed? John, that's really a good question because we're going to find out. This is going to be the true test. If we do go through a recession and the banks have been de-risked because of the financial crisis and the stress test they go through every year, this will prove, assuming they get through it without having a major earnings problem, assuming none of them cut their dividends, imagine what's going to, what they're going to look like coming out of the next cycle if this all takes place, which is what we think could very well happen. So what does that mean for how we should value some of these big banks? There you go. So then do they become so-called financial utilities? So they'll never trade like Duke Energy, but should they trade at eight to 10 times earnings? Maybe they get revalued to 12 to 13 times earnings. They'll, they'll never be marking multiple stocks, of course. But the point is that we could have a revaluation coming out of this, whatever we're going into, a slowdown slash recession, assuming the banks don't blow up like they did in, of course, 08, 09. So let's talk about one of their main utilities, which is a place to park cash yes. right, for consumers. Last year, in the second and third quarters, Banks saw the biggest outflow of, 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 of deposits on record going back to 1984. At what point do they have to start attracting deposits with higher rates? It's really going to be the question in this high rate environment. But we have to remind ourselves, if you go back to 2019, the system had just over $13 trillion of deposits. And they were growing approximately $600 billion a year. Today, the system is closer to $18 trillion because of QE. So I would argue the banking system has over $3 trillion of deposits that shouldn't be there. So I think you're going to see the continued outflow because because of QE as now is QT. Well, another way to put this is, do they want these deposits? Are banks happy to see them go? It, it, it's in a way, I think they are because, you know, they don't want to lose the good core deposits like, <clears throat> you know, Tom's account or something like that, of, of course. course. <laughs> <laughs> they, the, the, you know, they will lose some of the hot money and that's okay. But what's interesting is that uh, the loan to deposit ratios are still very low. And so a normal loan to deposit ratio is over 90% and the system today is under 70. Can I digress? Here. Oh no, please. This is a real hockey history. You and I knew Brian Moynihan when he was unheard of at the Bank of Boston long Cor time ago. Correct. And you and I every year would go to the St. Patrick's Day party for the Irish banks. I remember sitting in one of their drunk fests on St. Patrick's Day, four or five hundred people going. This is going to end ugly. You saw the collapse of the regional bank experience. Moynihan, and after Ken Lewis, helped pick up the pieces now. What's out there right now that's the same emotion that you and I felt on that St. Patrick's Day morning long ago? Tom, we ask, our, ask that question to ourselves all the time because every cycle we've had something blow up. And one of the things that I find so amazing is Fed funds rates have gone from zero to 25 basis points to four and three quarters. And there hasn't been any debacles yet. Exactly. Hey, What's, hey, where is it? I, we're digging. We're turning we got over. we 30 every, seconds. We're Keep turning going. over every rock we can. We do believe that loans to non-depository financial institutions could be the place where it blows up, meaning loans to private equity companies. That's where the valuations have come down dramatically. Is Harvey Fred. Schwartz watching this? <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> it's going to be a conversation about private money. No, yeah. this is, come yeah. on. This is, yeah, yeah, that's, you this, it's, you're dead on. That, that's, we're looking, anytime you have rapid loan growth in a specific asset class, that's where we take our nose to. And we just haven't really seen so, that. So, wait, wait, is this the question Powell asked Rubenstein today? 
Is that the return? Are they going to do it back and forth? They're going to do it back and forth. David, how about that loan yeah. deposit ratio? How about financial conditions, Jared, I've Jay? Got about, I've got about 60 seconds, Jared. I want to, I want to kind of fit this in. Bonuses and yes. what's happening with pay. If these banks are going to become utilities, what does that mean for the pay of the people that work at these companies? Credit Suisse right now talking about delaying some bonuses for bankers. What's the message for maybe a group of college graduates that want to go into this industry? What's the message for them now? The, the pay is still quite good, even though the pay has come down quite a bit, as you know, John. And we have to remember 2021 was all-time record years. So we're coming off a very high base. That being said, pay is not what it was you know, 12 or 18 months ago. But there's cycles, as we all know. And there will be a capital market cycle. ECM will come back. IPOs will come back. And that's when the bonuses really do grow so it's very cyclical let's do this more often oh i'd this love to this yeah. is, i'm thrilled you brought three pounds of lobster i'm, 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 surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised tom's not promoting the trip up to maine well do we want to fit we, that in no we, you know, we get that in but maine's weather's tough we're going to go up to <laughs> he doesn't um, like the weather john that's the reason no, why he has there, there's this, there's this bed and breakfast one. in bar harbor you went on vacation for. there a couple yeah. of summers ago didn't you well yeah. it was called a i took one day sabbatical it was a three-day okay. weekend three-day weekend i remember that we went up to bar harbor we stopped in portland looked for cassidy and he was out in this 57-foot Hinkley picnic boat picnicking right. at Portland Harbor. That 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 Hinkley boat you've got oh, is gorgeous. I, I <laughs> wish I had one, but they are gorgeous. <laughs> I want to make that clear. I wish I had one. That's Tom, a, those are great boats. That's a hedge fund boat there. Yes. It's, it's like you can go sideways in it. Yeah. You go sideways on it. You can, yeah. It's got little thrusters oh. on the side. You ever seen the Reva, the Reva boats? In Lake Como. I've heard oh, of this. Yeah, that's a proper boat. Yeah, that's a beautiful that's boat. We didn't know more, more, more of a lake kind of guy than I would be on the open waters. Yeah, you know, that's the way I am. Too, a bit, I'm a putt putt kind of guy. Just some, a bit calmer. <laughs> Joe, this was great. <clears throat> Thank you. Thanks sure, for being thank with you. us. I Joe really Cassidy appreciate it. Of RBC. Henrietta Trace joins us right now, Director of Economic Policy, Veda Partners here, on what we just heard from the Speaker of the House. Henrietta, I want to talk about the moral overlay, the moral politics of OMG, we're in debt. OMG, we have a deficit. Heil Bronner and Bernstein wrote brilliantly about this two lifetimes ago. What's the moral debate in the Congress you know so well about our debt and about our deficit? It's a great question. Um, and you mentioned heritage before. I kind of want to segue into that a little bit. The Heritage Foundation, which is a linchpin of the sort of Republican morality component, as you're referencing, is actually just embarking on a study to figure out exactly how much defense spending Republicans can cut right now in order to balance the budget. It's this tremendous <laughs> morality question that's not just Democrat versus Republican, but also Republicans within their own party. Are we a party that is trying to just reduce domestic spending and increase defense spending? Do we want to keep them at parity? The Heritage Foundation is about to launch into an investigation into seeing where the Pentagon can cut, where the Defense Department can cut. Um, and that is a pretty unique um, segue for the Republican Party. We haven't seen in as long as I've been alive, for sure. Um, right. So I think that there's a lot of soul searching from both sides right now, and especially from Republicans before they even enter into conversations with Democrats about what to do about this. Uh, to the memory of Pete Peterson, Sangus of Massachusetts and the other, Sam Nunn, I'll, I'll even put in here, that fought about the debt and the deficit. Where do, as President Trump would call them, Republicans in name only stand? Where is the moral fiscal politics of the middle ground of Republicans and Democrats. 
Um, I'll answer your question in two phases. One, I think there's a middle ground that is achievable. That is about $300 billion in fraud, waste, and abuse trimming. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the debt ceiling, which is currently $31.381 trillion and needs to get raised to at least, you know, $32, $33 trillion to get to the 2024 presidential election. So that's your moral, like, middle ground that's achievable. But then you have Republicans that I think they would call them rhinos, uh, certainly members that they have tried this before. They want to do things like tether the spending cuts to the debt ceiling hike on a one-to-one ratio. So using the numbers I just relayed, you're looking at cutting $1 trillion at a minimum from federal spending without touching Social Security, without touching Medicare, without touching defense to get you 218 votes in the House and 60 in the Senate. It's unworkable. Then there's an even uh, more impossible theory where you try to tether the debt to GDP ratio. um, And if you get or exceed a certain amount, you trigger automatic cuts. The current debt to GDP ratio is 124 percent. They've never been able to identify a ratio that they're comfortable with. And they've certainly never been able to identify an automatic trigger of what gets cut in the event you exceed that. So there really is no middle ground. And Lisa, what's so important about what you just heard there on 124 percent, which I was shocked by, there's a lot of people in that room tonight that think we're on the edge of France. That's what this is really about. (laughs) That's uh, that's, uh, some of the messaging that we may hear after the State of the Union. I am curious, just to pivot a little bit, uh, Henrietta, not only domestic, but internationally, what you're looking for when it comes to China and what President Biden's response is to the latest. Uh, increase in tensions? That's a great question. There's going to be no fewer than three hearings today on the House and Senate side starting at 10 a.m., along with briefings of the Gang of Eight around the sort of spy balloon uh, fiasco over the weekend. I think that what we've heard consistently from everyone from, you know, former uh, Ambassador Tai at USTR, uh, even going so far back as when she was chief of staff on the trade subcommittee, is this is an area where you can actually get agreement from Democrats and Republicans, especially heading into the 2024 presidential. Um, We're going to see Republicans and Democrats race to out-hawk each other. So one of the things I'm focusing on for investors right now is what that means for potential additional sanctions, Uh, what that means in terms of Treasury auditing the financial services industry in China, uh, what it means for a potential ban on TikTok. I think all those things are on the table and will be at a minimum headline risk for investors and probably very real prospects as we head into the next two years. Henry, just quickly here, what does that mean for large international companies based in the U.S. who are betting on China's rebound to really help juice their profits? you got to really be careful about which sector you're looking at because they're going to be um, obviously those macroeconomic headwinds that benefit them just from the reopening prospect and the sort of fundamentals. But you must layer on the risk of federal intervention from the United States, either through CFIUS, Treasury, the Pentagon, um, congressional action. Those risks are very real and present. I think the semiconductor and the battery space would tell you that on a very clear recent illustration. And you've got to be able to understand that the American administration is ready, willing, and able, and thoroughly prepared to uh, maintain existing tariffs, ratchet up existing tariffs. Um, you know, we just saw the 200% tariffs on Russian aluminum uh, floated yesterday. Those are all the kinds of things that we should expect for the foreseeable future and probably at greater um, instances of frequency going into the presidential in 2024. I've got 30 seconds left. Henrietta, when does president announce he's running for 24? When do we get that <laughs> announcement from Biden? This is the second time you've asked me that. So let's see if I can actually get it right this time. Uh, my understanding is that it is coming in the next couple of weeks um, at the latest, you know, maybe a month or two from now. Okay. Uh, we're going to get Nikki Haley announcing next week and then more in May from the Republican side. There we go. Henrietta Trice. 
of Vader Partners in the next couple of weeks. One of the best, also. Oh, she's just awesome. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Christina Campmany of Invesco, who I hope is still alongside us. (laughs) wrote the following. Our base case for the Fed is they deliver an additional 25 basis points in March, bring Fed funds to 475 to 5%, with the risk of a continuing term at a 25 basis point pace for one or two additional meetings. I think that's where a lot of the street are right now, TK, after payrolls on Friday. Our heads are spinning. Invesco is such a big shop. And joining us now, Christina Katmany, Senior Portfolio Manager, Global Debt in Invesco. I'm going to assume you're not hanging on every word of the chairman today, but yet all of our heads, institutional and retail, our heads are spinning right now. I How think, do we get control back of a thought process to the future? I think that's right. I mean, obviously, we came off of a massive data week last week with the ECB, the Fed, the BOE, ISMs, HICP. I mean, this this massive week. But it seemed that the market took away the narrative that it wanted to find rather than really listening to what all of these central bank speakers gave us. And I think... If you look at the statements alone from all of these central banks, they lean hawkish, and that is not the market reaction that we got Wednesday, Thursday, and you've obviously seen a correction the next couple of days, but I think the Fed speak in the next couple of days, and Mary Daly's kind of echoed it, and you had Kashkari this morning, I think, say sure. the same thing, and Boston I think, yesterday. yeah, you're going to have this back and forth of, we're, nobody said we're done, right? Like, we've made progress. I think Friday's payroll report is a fly in the ointment for them. Like, it doesn't give them the green light to just back off. So the pushback might be on Wednesday. Chairman Powell said the disinflationary process has started. He was asked about financial conditions, which had eased markedly over the last couple of months and said they haven't changed too much. Was that a mistake? What was he trying to tell us? I think on when he spoke, the one kind of nod he gave was more it seemed to shift to a singular focus on inflation versus before it's really been the dual mandate of inflation and we need to control the labor market. And I I still believe that they need to see both, but perhaps the inflation coming down, if we actually fulfill the market narrative and where we're pricing to get to this back to 2% target by June, perhaps that's sufficient for them to pause. I think where I have trouble with the market's pricing or in the market's narrative is about this turnaround easing in the second half of the year even with a soft landing. Like, if the Fed navigates a soft landing, there's not a real aggressive case for them to ease. That's a good point. So this is the pricing for Fed funds. Let's talk about market pricing and fixed income. Mm-hmm. Credit has rallied so hard. Mm-hmm. Lisa's talked about what's happened at investment grade, further down the quality spectrum to high yield as well. Do you move away from certain parts of credit now? It's rallied so much? I think 
Look, I think you do. And I think we've across, I think some of the easy, the easier trade of 2022 um, of a duration trade and directional has ta- has been taken off the table. In the last few days, we've done a lot of work to reprice off of the extreme richness in the treasury market, but I don't think it's a duration trade as much from here. Um, so spreads are tight. The underlying health of the corporate sector remains strong and global growth, if we take a step back, looks a lot better than we thought we would be six months ago. Six months ago in the summer, we were talking about a massive energy crisis in Europe and a very deep recession European growth has continued to beat to impress to the upside. China reopening has come to the table sooner than we expected. So I think that there's a lot of positive momentum. Um, but yeah, credit is less appealing of the options for us. I'd this say. is fascinating because it actually builds on what Daryl Cronk was saying of Wells Fargo, where he basically said that they had really done amazingly with the duration trade. He was talking about when they got in, but saying perhaps that's kind of over for now. He sees a range of 34 mm-hmm. to 3.9% on the 10-year. Do you agree? Would you sell duration here and just go into some of the areas that aren't the barbell, which basically you're saying isn't going to work now? Yeah, I think, look, the price action in the last two days, uh, I guess today would be three, takes the compelling we're way too rich on the spectrum off the table. But I think on the margin, yeah, mm. duration isn't so compelling here. I think it's more of a curve trade. Um, I appreciate Priya's argument on the curve, and she has been right. But I don't think that an inverted curve is sustainable in the long run, right? And mm. um, I think that that's where the market will push back. But I think positioning in all of these markets continues to be a very large driving force. And you see it in equities and you see it in foreign exchange the last couple of days and you you see it across the board. And I think, again, the price action on right. Thursday and reversal on Friday speaks right. to positioning and people capitulating out of things. I got an email from Lisbon last night and he said, my God, Christina's on Talk Benfica. John, at the World Cup, I don't know nothing, okay? And sure. I'm rooting for France and there's this kid on Argentina, Enzo Fernandez. The midfielder, yeah. Who's like... Would you explain, I mean, we got the, the, the all-time Benfica fan ever with us from Invesco. <laughs> Would you explain why Chelsea paid $100 million so had a big buyout clause. for this piece of meat? Had a big buyout clause. And Who is he? Ultimately, that means if Benfica even wanted to keep him, even if they wanted to keep him, if it's met, you meet the buyout clause, he's gone. He's going to Chelsea. So much money. I mean, this is a this is not a Benfica Enzo Fernandez issue. This is a Chelsea issue in the January transfer window where they spent something like four hundred million dollars. Why are they different than Man City? Benfica? No, Chelsea. Oh, in terms of where's where's the money coming from? Exactly. That's going to be an important question. Okay, I did okay there. It's going to be an important question. Okay. Okay. Would you like to join us in her soccer an- analysis? I think here? she's going to take a pass. Yeah, there may be a pass. We don't have enough Iberian. <laughs> like hard pass. But he could be Braga the other night. Is that right? <laughs> oh, you're yes. really on top of this. I'm really on top Should of we it. send Tom he's, to he's Lisbon? He's preparing for his move to Lisbon. <laughs> Should we send Tom to Lisbon? <laughs> Lisbon? Wikipedia. A <laughs> hundred million dollars on a player? I think that was Sterling, actually. A hundred okay, million Sterling. Sterling. Yeah, Pat Sterling. He's that good. Is he's pretty the new decent. Messi, I don't know if, look, Messi plays for Argentina. No, right? no he's not. He he does. Look, too many questions, Tom. <laughs> Messi does play for Argentina. No, he's not as good as Messi. I just think that transfer transfer valuations for some of these players Nuts. now has just gone insane. Okay, insane. And unlike American sports, that's the fee for the club, right. Tom. That's not what the player gets. Oh, I didn't know. So that. he's got to oh. negotiate his salary separately. Okay. 
Thank you for bringing this up. Christina, thank you. She, she did. For the stuff on the market. <laughs> thank you. That was Just great. Just money there of Invesco. <laughs> Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.